Well, good to be with you this morning, and um, we're going to share um, on these two words this morning, Sabbath and vocation, and how one feeds into the other. And so hang with me while we do that, and we share from um, 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to turn to that, and also Colossians chapter 3, a favorite chapter of mine. But before we do that, I wanted to do a little recap of the voices that we've heard from this summer. We're in about week eight or so since Pastor Jeff left, not that I'm counting, but (laughs) I am grateful for the many voices that we have heard from this summer as we have sought to find our place in the world. What is the church's place in the world today? And so we've continued to focus on this Psalm 130 and just waiting for the Lord. And that hope and intent of waiting on the Lord was that we might hear this new thing that God might be saying to us as we come to better understand this place we're called to in the world. But that question lingers with us even this morning. What is our place, the church at large throughout the world, but also this local church right here in Nashua? Not many things feel the same to us And we need to move and adjust and conduct things in new and different ways, new and different things that God might be calling us to. So here are some of the highlights of the last several weeks. On July 4th, Pastor Russ Long joined us, and he called us to reimagine. He got us off on a good foot on this topic. What might God be doing in our midst? He said, these days, as hard as they may seem, they're new days, and there may be some new things God's calling us to as individuals, but also as his church. This is how we do kingdom work, being open to whatever God has. And this is how we live out our vocation. We'll hear more about that word in a little bit. Then Pastor Siska came the following Sunday, and she challenged us to be okay with the different. When things don't look the same, when someone doesn't live the same, to say it's different, but it's okay. As we continue on this journey, we were catapulted into in March of 2020, Things little by little did become different. But as we know, when all of our props are stripped away, when the things in our lives, the people in our lives aren't there, aren't the same, we hurt, we wrestle, we're pained. But we remember what the God of Scripture tells us. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can count on him to be our rock and refuge in the place we hide ourselves when this all seems just too hard. When we do that, the losses, the unknown, they don't seem quite as threatening, and we can live into our calling, our vocation. We had Emily and Edward with us a few times this summer, and they talked with us about planting seeds, and the reality that we're all called to do that. That's what they do so well on the campus that they're working at for the last several years. Or even just when things are all okay, when I'm feeling right about life, even then, it should be an active part of our daily life, planting the seeds of the gospel, the gift of hope, wherever we find ourselves, day in and day out. And this is vocational living. Where am I, where are you, planting the seeds of the gospel today? Then Pastor Kurt from the anchor down in Hull, Massachusetts came, and he shared his story of redemption and deliverance from drugs and alcohol and all that bound him to those things. At one point in his message, he talked about this one man, he used the word shown, or radiated the love of Jesus to him. 
It was so foreign to him. He didn't even know what it was that was different about this man. And so it begs that question, who might be saying that about you and me when they interact with us? There's something different about them. Are we shining for Jesus right now in this very dark world we live in? Leandra, who gave her summer to our youth the following week, came and shared with us about living fully for God. Even though it's hard and it's a high calling, she brought us to the prophet Amos and what he had to say to the people of Israel for drifting away from God. God had delivered the Israelites from so much, and now they were in a time of great prosperity and they were forgetting about God and not living out their vocation and their calling to show love and mercy to those around them. God's people were hurting God by not living in ways that showed care for their community. Even in times of great wealth and prosperity, even in when life's going okay for us, we are still commanded to live out our vocation and keep caring for those in need, whether it be in our families or strangers in our community. And how grateful we were about when we heard about Pastor Shirley reminding us when things seem upside down, go back to the basics. What do you know to be true about God? about life in Jesus, the truths about God and what he desires for each one of us. When we feel disoriented by the happenings of the world, cling to those truths we know and live them out one step at a time, one day at a time. That's living out our vocation, our calling from God. Even when we have no idea what the future really holds, no idea of what tomorrow will bring, And the truth is we really never know what tomorrow will bring. We plan and we have great expectations, but we really don't know what tomorrow will bring. God knows those things, and he just calls us to be obedient to him in the day. His word says in Colossians 3.22, whatever you do, whatever you're doing right in this moment, do it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Pastor Vince reminded us a few weeks ago beautifully of the Good Shepherd Jesus, his deep care for all of us, and how well the Good Shepherd knows each one of us. He reminded us that nothing will separate us from the love of God, even when we wander like sheep often do. He pointed out to us that often the church is guilty of too much hurt and not enough love, and that we're called as a church seeking to find its place place in the world, and that's what we've been trying to focus on this summer, to be full of love and compassion for one another, both in the church and outside of the church, that there can be unity, even in deep variations of opinion. When we do so, we're living out our vocation. God is calling us to that. So that's what we've heard about to date this summer. And through these months, as you may have guessed, I've been pondering this word, vocation. And as I read and studied over the summer months, I sensed the Lord reminding me that the word vocation lives alongside of Sabbath. Now, both of those words seem a little bit outdated, maybe, and words that are designated, maybe even just for those in ordained ministry. But for the sake and time of this sermon, let's put aside those kind of preconceived ideas of what those words mean and hear how they're really meant for all of us right now here in 2021 as we honestly and sincerely seek to find out what in the world is our place 
as God's people. Where does the church of Jesus Christ, where does community chapel fit in the world right now? And if we can't really answer that, then what are we really doing? If we can't answer that honestly, we have to address with ourselves why we even show up for this thing called church each week. By definition, a vocation is an occupation to which a person is especially drawn or for which they're oriented, maybe gifted. Though not now it's often used in non-religious contexts, the original meaning of the term vocation was rooted in Christianity. When we're living out our vocation, we're living out Paul's admonition to us to set our sight on things above. Colossians 3.1 reads, Since we have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above. When you wake up first thing in the morning, what are those first thoughts? Are those thoughts on things above? Or the long list of what the day will include? For purposes of our conversation today, let's call our jobs or our profession or what it is we do with most of our time during the week, let's call those our jobs or professions or careers, but see vocation for purposes of this message, what we're called to as believers, as followers of Jesus. And let's hold on to that question, what is your vocation? God calls us to a particular area of ministry in this world. Everyone is not called to pastoral ministry or even church leadership, but everyone is called to kingdom work. So today I challenge us with that reality and ask you, how would you answer that question? What might that be? So back to vocation. Vocation, it's not a guilt trip or not giving you something else to do or you should be doing or could be doing in your life or for the church, but really expressing the reality that the only thing that will last when our time on earth is up is what we do for Jesus, what we do for the kingdom of God. And surely part of that includes raising our families and providing for them, but those things are for a season, or some of them are, and they're part of training our families is showing them the importance of doing kingdom work, living out our vocation. And here seems a good spot to say, there'll never be enough time to live out what God may be calling to, or whatever his specific vocation of your life is. But since the very beginning, we've always had only seven days, only 24 hours in a day. I think we agree on that. We all, though, wish for more time. But I often wonder, would that really make a difference? If we had eight days and 35 hours in a day, we would just fill those up, too. So if we find ourselves saying, well, I just don't have enough time for Sabbath, which we'll talk about a little bit, or this vocation theme thing seems just like one more thing I have to do, and I'm already too busy. If these are common thoughts or expressions of ours, we need to rethink what we give our time to. As I mentioned earlier, all through the summer, we've been talking about waiting and watching. And waiting is not just passive. As we're in a waiting posture, it's not absent of effort on our part. I tell my friends at Keystone all the time, this relationship with God is cooperative. We don't just pray and sit back and wait for God to work. 
We have to be doing all the things we know to do. And as we're in that waiting posture, we wait, we hear, and we step out. One step of faith may open the door to our place in the world to just what God's calling us to. He doesn't always show us the whole picture. Ever have that experience? We just sometimes take one step and he shows us the next. As Paul reminds us again in Colossians 3.2 to set our things, eyes on things above. This verse isn't just for our hour in church when we're worshiping and we're focusing on God or even for our quiet time. It's how Paul's calling us to live as followers of Jesus, to fix our eyes wholly and consistently on Jesus. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 reminds us again of the same thing. He says, throw off everything that hinders. What gets in the way of you keeping your focus on God? And the sin that so easily entangles, let us run this race with perseverance, the perseverance that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. As this verse reminds us, there is a race marked out for us. And in order to stay on course, again, we must fix our eyes on Jesus. Stop yourself through the day. What am I fixing my eyes on? What is distracting me? We can't depend on ourselves or our own planning, our own wisdom. We must commit everything we offer to Jesus in the course of the day, and he will show us the way to live. When we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, we begin the process of allowing him to do this work in our life. Romans 12, 2 reminds us, it begins with the renewal of our mind. God changes the way we think so that we can know his will. Henry Nouwen reminds us in a blog that I read this summer where he was quoted, that we get caught up in these human lies that kind of mess with our heads and keeping us from being all that God calls us to. They keep us sometimes even from what our actual vocation is. We come to believe, well, I am what I have, or I am what other people say about me. We live in this temptation to be relevant. We, at times, live in this temptation to be spectacular. We want to do something great. Or even this temptation to be powerful. I wonder, do these thoughts or temptations ever bog you down? Or maybe even blind you from what God has designed you for? Sometimes we need to challenge ourselves with, what's my motivation for wanting this or moving in that direction? Uh, An area spiritual director, Jeremy Stefano, writes, my vocation is not for me. It is for others. If I set out to attain something exclusively for myself with the gifts God has given me, it's a dismal business. What God has called and gifted me to be and to do is for the blessing and benefit of others. While we do derive joy from the satisfaction of our labor, God has given us to be stewards to share what we have received for the common good which is the essence of Paul's word in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. So this brings me to the word Sabbath, the second word in our sermon title this week. Sabbath, too, seems like kind of an outdated word um, from old, or the thoughts of, oh, no, now we're going to be lectured about slowing down and doing less again. Well, that doesn't work in 2021 and so on, but, but just hear me out for a minute. 
By definition, Sabbath means a day of rest and worship. Um, for some traditions, it's Friday night and Saturday. For Christians, it's often been um, observed on Sundays. But Wayne Mueller, um, the author of a book that I'm going to quote from throughout the rest of the message, um, I studied his book on Sabbath through the summer, and he describes Sabbath this way. He said, the Sabbath is like a patch of ground secured by a tiny fence. And when we withdraw from the endless choices afforded us and listen, we uncover what is ultimately important and remember what is quietly sacred. Now hear this part. Sabbath restrictions on work and activity, which we don't like restrictions, so that comes hard to us, actually creates a space of great freedom for us. Without these self-imposed restrictions that Sabbath calls for, we may never truly be free. Ever feel like a slave to your schedule? That's what he's referencing here. But Sabbath, even though it may seem like an outdated word, it is God's call to us in one of his commandments, and it is in fact important today as it's ever been. It's not a common word, but we use expressions sometimes like downtime or laying low or decompressing, and those can all be components of Sabbath. But in true Sabbath, we offer ourselves to God once again and seek to sit in his presence. For sure, Sabbath includes things that help us detach, to relax. But in order to face the matters of the world, we need to reclaim this Sabbath space in our own life. The book I mentioned is called Sabbath, Finding Rest, Renewal, and Delight in Our Busy Lives. And I'm going to share a few things from there now. But it's important now for us to remember we can't bring the hope of the gospel to the world if we're all torn up inside, if our own souls are in total disarray. If we're constantly lost in our busy schedules, the frenzy of this world, consumption, accomplishments, and so on, we can't minister to others in that state ourselves. Mueller says, the world we live in is set to seduce our attention away from this inner place of refuge that comes from time with God. In Psalm, the psalmist writes in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And later in the Psalms, we read this very familiar verse. Be still and know that I am God. This is his call to us. For some of us, we've forgotten the practice of being still and meditating on these, the word of God, really giving focus to what his word might be saying to us. When we rest, when we take that time, it's like a statement saying, I need you, God. I'm relying on you for strength and refreshment. I can't do this thing called life without that infusion of more of you. Isaiah reminded us, in chapter 30, verse 15, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. In a complex and unstable world, Mueller says, if we do not rest, if we do not surrender into some kind of Sabbath where we're meditating on God's word, how can we find our way? How can we hear the voices that tell us the right thing to do. He tells a story in the book. He says, I've sat on dozens of boards and commissions with many fine, compassionate, and generous people 
who are so tired, overwhelmed, and overworked that they have neither the time nor the capacity to listen to the deeper voices that speak to the essence of the problems before them. Presented with the intricate and delicate issues of poverty, public health, community well-being, and crime, our impulse, which is born of weariness, is to rush headlong toward doing anything that'll make the problem go away. Maybe then we can finally go home and get some rest. But without the essential nutrients of rest, wisdom and delight embedded in the problem-solving process, the solution we patch together is likely to be an obstacle to real relief. Born of desperation, it often contains fundamental inaccuracy to guarantee an equally perplexing problem will emerge as soon as that one's put into place because in the soil of quick fix is the seed of a new problem because quiet wisdom is not available. Remember, tired, worn out, burnt out people trying to find solutions. Without rest, we respond from a survival mode where everything we meet assumes a terrifying prominence. When we're driving a motorcycle at high speed, even a small stone in the road can be a deadly threat. So when we're moving faster and faster, every encounter, every detail inflates in importance, he says. Everything seems more urgent than it really is, and we react with sloppy desperation. So our question again, are our days ordered in such a way that our vocation, our calling to kingdom work, happens organically for us? Maybe it's hospitality. Maybe it's being present with someone with a chronic condition or situation. Maybe it's childcare for someone. Maybe it's teaching. Maybe it's just making space in our calendars so we aren't so booked and so rushed all the time that we can hear what God might be calling us to or what he might be putting right in your path. Sometimes living out our vocation is inconvenient. Sometimes it's not at all what we expected. Sabbath is like this, he says, a day of closing our eyes to the busyness of our necessary responsibilities, a meditation in the midst of life, a day to listen more carefully to the story beneath the habitual words and actions that flood our days. He goes on to say, what fruitfully nourishes your soul will help you remember daily that you are in possession of Jesus' light, that light that Pastor Kurt talked with us about. And how you live, how often you retreat or take the Sabbath time with Jesus will determine how bright you shine, how often you bring the hope of Jesus to the world around us, our vocation. Bringing the hope of Jesus, that's our calling. That's our vocation. And when we take Sabbath seriously, we better live out our calling. A story comes from this book, tells a story about a nun in a, at, at the Abbey of Mississippi. And she was a bright and dynamic woman with a sharp mind and a kind heart. And like many nuns, she had a variety of responsibilities in the keeping of this abbey. And she cooked and cleaned and all that stuff. But she also worked the fields where she grew wild herbs and used those to cook some of their meals. But a few years ago, the nuns became interested in this permaculture and sought consultation to discover the most efficient and sustainable use for both land and animals. And so they were advised, maybe some of you who have 
an agricultural background, this would be familiar to you, they were advised to change the grazing habits of their cattle. Where previously the cattle were allowed to roam freely over the whole field, they were told to pen the cattle in a small patch of land, and the rest of the field could lie fallow. So they did that for a few years. Later, they moved the pen to another spot. And in this way, each section of the land was fully used, but it also got a chance to rest in the in-between years. After two years of this grazing method, Sister Gilchrist went out in early spring to check on the growth of her precious herbs. To her astonishment, she found not only the few herbs she was familiar with, but over a dozen new ones that had miraculously appeared apparently out of nowhere. Several new grasses had germinated as well, grasses that when the cows began to graze upon them proved so nourishing that they didn't need to supplement the cow's diets any longer. The nutrition in the new grasses was more than sufficient to sustain them. Moral of the story here. Where had these herbs and grasses come from? They appeared from within the earth of this field. Seeds that had always been embedded in the soil. Because they had been trodden underfoot by the cattle who were allowed to roam free with no restraint around them for those other years, the relentless activity, these herbs were never allowed to grow in their fullness. When the land and the seeds were given necessary Sabbath for those years in between, the earth could then, in its own time, reveal the breathtaking wonders of which it was so naturally and easily capable. I love the story because it's such a sharp and pointed reminder of the things we might be missing because we're not making that Sabbath time in our own life so that we might be restored and even experience this revelation of new areas of giftedness and beauty, things God might want to say to us that we're naturally and easily capable of when we find that rest in him. In Exodus 33, God called Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, and Moses wanted hands-on instruction, but God offered him something better. He said to Moses, I will go with you, and I will give you rest. In Leviticus 25, God told his people to plant fields and vineyards for six years, but then to let the land rest in the seventh year. And they did, and God blessed them enough with enough for three more years. In Luke 23, this is one I'd never thought about, we read that the women followed Jesus to the cross and mourning, and once Jesus died, they prepared the perfumes and spices for his body, but sunset came before they could finish the job, and they rested in honor of the Sabbath. In each of these cases, there was more work to be done, but in setting aside their own demands, work schedules, and expectations in honor and obey God, each of these people received more than anything they could have imagined. They got to experience God's presence, God's provision, and resurrection power. Jody Burnt writes, rest, real rest, is maybe not so much ceasing activity as it is adopting this posture of trust, one where we increasingly depend not on our own strength, but on God. It's yielding our plans, our timetables, our skill sets, and our ideas about how things have to happen to God and choosing to abide. As I was putting this together, I was reflecting back and remembering some people that had walked with me early in my own journey and taught taught me about offering my time to God and how when you do that, 
he makes the rest of it all work. That's not a magic formula, and it doesn't mean everything you want to do will always get done. Any of you who keep lists, you know there's always things on the list that are never quite done. But what it does mean is God directs our steps. He leads the way instead of our planning and our scheduling. He has things he wants to show us and grow in us, like those spices and those herbs that grew as we go at his pace. And we get so shortchanged of God's best when we pull back and just live in that place of, well, I, I just don't have time to stop. When we relent and do it his way, he provides and makes things work. In these days, we all need to be reminded and encouraged to give our time first to him. And that, that involves more than just Sunday church or a brief devotional time. Those things are a start, and they're important. But we're called to live devotionally all day long, all week long. We need time to be still and listen to him, to know what he's saying to our spirits, and then watch what he does throughout the day. And a very important thing we're reminded of often, when all this is over, when all this is behind us, all that's going to last is what we do in his name, what was done for the furtherance of his kingdom. It won't be our job titles or our amount of our possessions or how nice our homes were. Paul reminds us in this verse in 1 Corinthians 12, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. When Paul's writing this, he's reminding us these gifts, and we all have them, they're from the Holy Spirit. Whatever blessings, gifts, or graces God's given you, it isn't just to make your life or my life better or more comfortable, but it's for the common good of all, the common good of your family members, the common good of your church community, the common good in your workplace. In this passage, Paul's reminding the Corinthian church of just that. The gifts of the Holy Spirit has given us are for the benefit and the welfare of the community, not personal glorification. Listen to this story Dan Wilt of Seedbed wrote in a devotional over the summer, expressing his sort of um, understanding of this verse from Paul. He says, you know, every once in a while, I do something to up my cultural game. I attend a symphony, and one of my favorite moments at the symphony, and our kids were all in band, so I could envision this, when one, and one of my favorite moments is when the music isn't playing at all. The moment I'm, of which I'm speaking occurs soon after the chaotic sound of the orchestral instruments simultaneously being tuned up has died down. While I'm fond of listening to the tuning session, section because I enjoy that creative process, I wouldn't want to listen to two hours of everyone fiddling around with their instruments. Though each musician brings decades of natural gifting, passion, training, and cultivated talent to the moment, the tuning portion of the night has them all playing out of accord, doing their own thing, creating this cacophonous sound of disordered sound with no dynamic variation and a little attention to what the others are doing. But my favorite moment, he says, is the pregnant pause located between that tuning portion of the night and the start of the concert. That moment is electric with anticipation. These virtuoso performers are about to submit their years of experience and their best individual gifts 
to a shared piece of music. Sure, there'll be solos, duets, quartets, and instances in which the whole orchestra will sound their voices at the same time. But the greatest hidden joy we all experience is that the musicians are all playing together for a common purpose. They will play for that common purpose, and they'll be silent for that common purpose. What is that common purpose, that vocation, that calling? to play the music that's before them. The musical score is the star of the night, not the individual musicians. Their instrumental diversity will be submitted to their vocational unity, and their vocational unity will be remarkable because of their instrumental diversity. Joy and beauty will be the result. He writes, for you and me, Jesus is the music and we each have a part to play. Again, that verse, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To each one. Paul means each person. He means you. He means me. In this context, he means every person who's following Jesus is a part of the communion of the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church. In other words, each one of us has an instrument in our hands. Practice and mentoring have brought us to this opportunity to play together. The manifestation of the Spirit is given here in verse 7. He uses this phrase, manifestation of the Spirit, to express something like a display or an exhibition of the Spirit's presence and goodness. In other words, we each have music we were uniquely made to make to put God's glory on display. But now, the key part, our reason for receiving this unique manifestation of God's spirit is made crystal clear. Paul says it's given for the common good. The phrase for common good speaks of a symphony coming together for a purpose, a shared vocation, a calling as a family. In a family symphony, your good is why I'm gifted. My good is why you are gifted. Our common good as the body of Christ is why we have been given these gifts. To build up the church in our most holy faith and to keep us in God's love. This overflow of the symphonic unity of the church and the sharing of spiritual gifts will result in the common good of our homes, our churches, and our cities. Awakening in the world lies on the other side of the awakening of the church. It begins with us. The Father has written our music. The Son is our melody, and the Spirit is teaching us to play it together for the sake of the world that Jesus loves. Hear that last line again that Dan Wilt writes. The Father has written our music. The Son is our melody. And the Spirit is teaching us to play it together for the sake of the world that Jesus loves. We've heard Pastor Jeff say for years that the church exists for the world. And today we hear this message reiterated from Paul's words to the Corinthian church. Our gifts are given to be shared for the common good of all, resulting in an awakening that begins in us, in our churches, and it overflows into our homes, workplaces, and cities.
Brothers and sisters, the church needs to be awakened. Our world needs the church. A church full of Jesus and his love and grace and direction that begins with every one of us. It's never going to be enough time. We need to make the time. We need to put aside the things that don't matter and live out our vocation. And that's going to happen as we each truly Sabbath and get into that quiet, freeing space with Jesus so he can fill us back up and energize us to be about his work. Again, not tomorrow, not when things slow down, but in the here and now of today, our world needs Jesus. My friends, it's a new day. It is essential like never before that we get on board and shift gears and give focus as the church of Jesus Christ to what really matters. We need to hear what God's word is speaking to us about Sabbath and vocation and so much more. We just cannot keep hearing sermons and then just come back to hear another one. We must plead with God in these days to help us form the needed disciplines to be a real force in this world, in this very broken world that has forsaken hope and goodness. So may we make changes that will bring us to the place where the world sees us as a light shining on a hill. May we be the messengers of hope and peace in a world that is starving for it. So in this posture of pleading, I ask you, let's agree to let him teach us new things and be a new and different church at 5 St. Lawrence Street in Nashua. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we know we have been called to shine brighter than this. We often say that we've centered our lives and centered ourselves in the story of Jesus, but today we say, Jesus, we really need you to be the center. We need to be part of the awakening of the church that you're calling us to in these times. May we not be too busy to hear from you. Let us not miss this moment in time that you've called us to. You promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church, so we must do our part. We must examine our hearts and lament and flee from the status quo and run from polarization, from the idolatry of busyness and self-importance. We confess at times we get so tangled up we don't know how to untangle ourselves. We confess we have loved you with our whole hearts, but often have rejected our neighbors or opportunities to serve you. So we yearn for your grace and mercy. So please hear our cries, see our heart, and don't depart from us, we pray. Show us your compassion and grace, and we plead for your healing and wholeness. We ask that you would rescue us from ourselves, redeem us, heal us as your church. Resurrect us from our slumber, we pray, God, and transform us into the radiant church you've called us to be. 
and that you believe we can be. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.